I do want to share with you um, what the Lord's been putting on our heart throughout the year and some of the realities we uh, are now living and have received. <clears throat> title of my message this morning is Forcefully Advancing. Amen. And it comes from Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, more specifically in the NIV. I, I think maybe when they, the interpreters, the translators for, um, when they were translating the King James, they may have been a little concerned. They weren't quite sure uh, what was, uh, who the person on offense and who the person on defense was. And so in the King James, they say the kingdom of heaven suffers violently and violent men take it by force. We see in the NIV, which I believe to be a more accurate translation, and most of the more recent translations follow this uh, understanding. Amen. And I believe that what we read this morning should help set the tone for the kingdom. In verse, in chapter 11, in verse 12, it says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And forceful men lay hold of it. You see, the modern church world is very cautious to use the word forceful or even violent. In fact, they've gone great lengths to be becoming passive and all-inclusive. But we read here that the kingdom of God advances by force. And it takes forceful men to advance it. It doesn't take force to grow a megachurch. It takes being passive being all-inclusive. I really appreciate the word forceful. It's the same word that we hear when the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost. It was the sound of a violent or a forceful wind. The kingdom came by force. How many of you heard that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman? And he doesn't offend anyone. Yet, when he appears, he comes as a violent, forceful wind. And he came upon men, and we're going to look a little bit to see if these men and women were passive or forceful. Amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 16, verse 16. Because this is, this 
is kind of the key to my message this morning. Amen. I think I'm just going to read it off the screen in the back. This is the same instance. And if we put them together, I think we can kind of get uh, the full message here. It says, the law and the prophets were until John. Sounds very familiar. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way in it. You see, the reason why I know the kingdom of God forcefully advances is because the only way to get in is to force your way in. And only forceful men get in. I think we've lowered the standard for what we call Christian. You know, we get excited when new people come. Here, sit in the best seat, prop your feet up. We've got a visitor's package for you. We don't want you to force your way into anything. We're just going to open it up right for you. And so we wind up with churches that cannot force anything. They can't forcefully advance the kingdom of God because they've never forced their way into it. These men who were baptized by a forceful wind, we have a snapshot of these men's lives. We have a snapshot. We can see the early church. It starts where I want to pick up is about Acts chapter 4. So let's turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, I mean, the church began to go out and preach the gospel, and it was good. It was kind of like when you go out in your community, and maybe you hand out some food, and you begin to share the gospel, and everything is good, and you're like, wow, this is great. But then they upset some people. They upset some Pharisees and some Sadducees and the leaders of the temple. One day, Peter and John are going up to the temple and they heal a man. Wow, everything changes after this. Everything was going good until they healed a man. They were warned sternly, don't preach. In this name. Now, they, this is happening at the gate going to the temple. And they're getting warned we're going to throw you in prison if we catch you back here teaching and preaching in this name. 
That would have ruined most people's outreach program. How many of you heard someone at least quote Romans 13 in the last nine months? I have a solution for the next time someone tries to quote to you Romans 13. Get behind me, Satan. Because it likes to use scripture. So the apostles go back and they're, they're having a prayer meeting. They realize um, if we're going to preach the gospel, it's going to cost us. They're breathing threats against us. We're not very welcome on the Temple Mount to preach in his name. They're not wanted by some people. And so in their prayer meeting, let's look in chapter 4, look at verse 29. They say, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Notice they didn't say, Lord, we pray for protection as we go to the Temple Mount to to share your gospel, Lord, we pray. They're not praying for protection. They're saying, you heard what they told us, Lord. They're trying to shut us up. They're trying to cause us to be passive. But there is a spirit in us that is forceful. And help us to go and be bold. Amen. They weren't considering their personal safety. They were actually considering the message they were going to preach. They said, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Look at, the, look at the next verse. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. There was a violent shaking in the ground going on. The early church was birthed forcefully. The message, even from John, went out forcefully. Why? Because there's resistance. And if you're going to make advances on something, you actually have to push harder than the force that is being applied to you. If the church is going to forcefully advance, it's going to actually have to put more pressure than what's being applied on it from the enemy. That's what their prayer meeting was, saying, Lord, we, we feel all this pressure. Help us to be forceful because we're going to advance the kingdom. Yeah. 
Let's jump to chapter 5. So they went out preaching, and they get arrested. It says, let's, um, let's look at 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Okay, so they're, in, they're at the temple preaching, and they get arrested. And in the night, an angel sets them free, lets them out of jail. And this is what this angel, by the way of the Holy Spirit, tells them. Go stand in the temple courts. He said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. He told them, I want you to go back where you've been forbidden to go preach. And I don't want you to water down the message. I don't want you to go and try not to offend anyone. You preach the full message. What I love about it is the next verse. At daybreak, not a week later, not a month later, they didn't have to have a committee to see whether what they were going to do. They just got out of jail. They haven't even slept yet. And at daybreak, they're back at the temple. These are forceful men. There's nothing passive about them. In fact, the world could look at this and say, you're just being a little defiant. You're being a little rebellious. But you know what? Obedience to God looks that way. Amen. To the opposing force. They're not being rebellious. They're being obedient. It is the Spirit of God saying, this is on. This is war. This is a battle. The Holy Spirit never intended the gospel to go out without any conflict. I don't see the Holy Spirit as something that's passive, gentle, afraid to step on people's toes. It came as a violent wind. And it's still violently moving on the earth today. We just got, um, starting at the beginning of the year, a major resistance to the church world. And before any law came out, we saw the church folding, making rules before there was ever any... Uh, mandate from any organization the pastors closed their doors before they were told to 
The reason why is because about 20, 25 years ago, they put the Holy Spirit out of the church. Because if they had the Holy Spirit, they would have said, oh, no, it's on. It's on. You see, they were afraid. They put the Spirit out of the church because it offended people if somebody spoke in tongues. I'm thankful I'm not talking about any of those churches here this morning that's here. But how many of you said, oh, you're reckless, you're defiant? Quote Romans 13 to you. I mean, Paul was in prison when he wrote Romans 13. For disobeying the authorities. And he wasn't in prison because he was being rebellious or defiant. It was because he was walking in obedience. There's a whole church world out there that's been neutered. Neutered of the Holy Spirit. That has been practicing passive Christianity for so long. They think it's the right thing to do. And can no longer advance the kingdom on the earth. Because the kingdom is filled with men and women who force their way in it and continue to forcefully advance the kingdom of God. I don't know if it's true, but I I still hear a lot of churches still not meeting. They might as well not open back up. It would be best for everyone if they just not open back up. Because they don't have a forceful pastor. Anyone who has the Holy Spirit is a reckoning force for God. So I'm not sure what spirit they're following that's so gentleman-like, politically correct, Afraid to offend anyone. But I see here the Holy Spirit telling men, go back to the place where you just got arrested. And preach the same message. Don't water it down. Because this is how the kingdom of God advances. They weren't being defiant. They weren't being reckless. They were being obedient, forcefully obedient. When you choose to obey God, it's going to put you in direct conflict with the ruling authorities. Whatever the ruling authority is, the ruling authority will try to exercise its authority over you. But we don't submit to any ruling authority except for the ruling of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is willing to apply more force 
than the opposing authority. So how do we forcefully advance the kingdom of God? We cannot forcefully advance the kingdom of God until it has first forcefully advanced in our own lives. See, we want to go out and change the world, but we don't want the Holy Spirit to change anything in our life. Except for the good stuff. You know, you want healing, you want blessing, you want financial gain, you want all those things. I'm going to talk a little bit about the kingdom advancing in your life and what that looks like. Because you see, there's this verse in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. That I have been reading wrong probably for 25 years. I have missed a key element. In Matthew 6 verse 33. We've quoted this so many times we have no idea what it means. all know the scripture says but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you there's a lot in here that I can focus on but I'm going to focus on one thing and it's first see this is what I missed the church is full of people seeking the kingdom but they missed the first aspect of it I believe everyone is willing to pursue God, but maybe not first. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at a few people who are pursuing to follow Jesus. We're going to pick up in verse 59. We'll just jump right to it. Jesus is calling disciples. He's trying to get the 70 together to send them out. And he looks at one man who is in the crowd wanting to follow Jesus. And he says, hey, you, come follow me. He says that he said to, he said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, but first, let me go and bury my father. You see, I'll follow you, Jesus, but you're not first in my life. 
You see, I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll pay my tithe. But first is something else. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your retirement plan. It's your security. I want to serve you, Jesus. But first, something else. You see, they're not seeking first the kingdom. And we like to... Oh, but I'm, I'm seeking Jesus. I'm pursuing the kingdom. What is it? First in your life. And that, this seems to be a common thing because look at the next person. Still another said, I will follow you, Jesus. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Look, I, my, my family, what would this look like to my family if I just follow you recklessly, and I don't go explain it to them, it might look like I'm in a cult. Because his family would say, hey, you can follow Jesus, just don't be radical and make him first. If you haven't been said that you're in, if no one has told you you're in a cult, then you ain't put Jesus first. When you put Jesus first, now everybody's going to say, man, you're in a cult. Yeah, and the, and the leader is Jesus. I put him first in my life. Every decision my family makes, we don't consider ourselves first or how it's going to impact us. We first consider how will this impact the kingdom. When we had children, we raised them up. We didn't consider their future for themselves. We raised them and said, what is their purpose in the kingdom? See, we want to serve the Lord. They want to follow Jesus. But what's first in our life became apparent when they had to make a difficult decision. Uh, yeah, Jesus, I will serve you, but first let me retire. Let me, let me first get a good job. Let me first get married. Let me first... If you don't put him first, there'll always be some other first in your life. <laughs> Means you're going to have to take what's first and set it aside. And it's going to offend whatever that is, whether it's your family, your work, whatever. To make him first means you have to remove something. That is first in your life, to make him first. I don't question that you follow Jesus. But the question here this morning is, is he first? Is the kingdom first? Me and Teresa, four years ago, actually ten years ago when the Lord placed on our heart to go to Indonesia 
It's one of those instant revelations of all the things you're about to miss out on on life. My wife had a dream. She knew it was from the Lord, and she knew what it was going to cost, and she was walking down the hallway seeing the pictures of us as a family and her children, and she realized, if I put him first, I'm not going to have pictures like this with my grandchildren. We had discussions, and we decided it would be hard, difficult, but if we don't obey, and we see our little grandchildren running in the yard and we have such a beautiful life and we chose that first and chose some other way to serve Jesus, maybe put him out, maybe second, at least second, we'd have to stand before him. And we would realize he wasn't first in our life. He was somewhere in our life. He's somewhere in everyone's life, but he wants to be first. We have to seek first the kingdom. That means every decision you make. You make a financial decision, is the first thing that comes to your mind, is, is this going to affect my retirement? Is this going to uh, affect my children's inheritance? I love my kids, but look, there's no inheritance, okay? <laughs> but what I left for you is a godly heritage. Yeah. See, really what we're saying is, Lord, I want to serve you, but don't wreck my life. That's why we have all, not us, but many, have all the promises of all the things that will be added to you. Promises you good things, promise you this. We seek God for the blessing that he can be in our life. But there's a group of men in the book of Acts that are seeking God to be a blessing to the kingdom. This was all birthed from me sitting with one of our disciples who has a very difficult decision to make in his life. He's graduating as an engineer in a third world country. His parents have eaten rice for four years to support his school, and now he feels the calling on his heart to be a pastor. Yeah! I told him you might be an engineer and a Christian, but you can't be an engineer and a pastor because you're going to serve one and hate the other. You can only be married to one of them. In Indonesia, their work hours are between 50 and 60 hours a week. And you can't be away from your congregation and your disciples 60 hours and think that you're going to pastor someone. He said, they called me Pastor Brent. He said, but, but Brent, I, how do I tell my parents 
I'm not going to bring a return on their investment. They will, for, they, they will put me out of the family. You, you ask, you, this would cause me to give up my life. I said, I know, I'm not asking you, and God's not asking you to do anything that we haven't already done. The reason why pastors don't require much from their congregations because they feel guilty asking their congregation to do things they just haven't done. <laughs> you you want to know, I, I told him, I said, you know, at times like this, I was hurting to the little guy because I know what he's going to go through. If he puts the kingdom first, I told him, I said, you know, at times like this, I wish the prosperity gospel was true, but it's not. It's not. This, I told, this is the only gospel I know. Listen to what Jesus says here in verse, I think that's 62. Let me check. 62, Jesus replied, get this. No one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. If you're not willing to force your way in it, you aren't even worthy to be in it. There's another scripture that says, if you're not willing to hate your mother, your father, leave all that, you are not worthy to be my disciple or not worthy of me. I mean, we're calling people Christians, and they're not worthy of the title. Because they haven't forced their way into anything. So, can you imagine, pastor, someone in your congregation who, you know, they come and go. They, they haven't been maybe the, the poster child for a victorious Christian. And they sit down with a counseling session and they say, well, I've been trying. You know, we try. And you look at me now and say, no. You don't, you don't live a life worthy to bear his name. It's going to cost you more to get in. You're going to have to force your way into the kingdom of God. I mean, I, I didn't make all words up. This is Jesus who was teaching these things. You know, we've lowered that standard as a worldwide church to everyone bow their head and lift up your hand. You're in the kingdom now, brother. You're in the kingdom now, sister. And we wonder why the kingdom of God is not advancing on the earth. Because they're not even in the kingdom. That scripture that says they are forcing their way in it, that's not past tense. It's not something you did years ago. We're forcing our way in the kingdom every day that we wake up. Amen. I know 
that the gate is straight, but the way is also narrow. There's a constant forcing, constant forcing, constant forcing to advance. We have to first let the kingdom forcefully advance in our lives before we can be considered forceful men. And if you live a life as a forceful man, this becomes evident to someone who wants to be your disciple. If they know your life well enough, pastors, they understand the forcefulness that's involved. Elijah didn't ask Elisha to do anything. But he knew what was required of him to go burn his bridges, burn his past, wreck his life. because of the way that Elijah lived. It was just apparent that if you're going to be a disciple and you're going to become like your teacher, might as well get started off on the right foot and go burn everything. Leave nothing to come back to. Turn with me to Romans 12. <clears throat> you should be very familiar with Romans 12 also. This is another one of these scriptures we quote so often we're not quite sure what it means. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I'm going to translate. I, I tell my guys all the time, let me translate this for you. You've got to put everything on the altar. Everything on the altar, your job, your future, your hopes and dreams. See, we want Jesus to take away all our problems. What about when he wants to take away your hopes and dreams and give you something else? See, I'm not quite sure if I put everything on the altar. When it says your living bodies, it means everything you are. As a natural father, I want to see my children succeed in the natural world. I want them to have a good education. I want them to have good jobs. And God wants me to put that on the altar. Because there's a calling in their life. 
And God wants them to answer that calling. And so I've got to put everything on the altar. We have about four full-time disciples training for ministry. They're in full-time ministry. They've chosen not to go with their careers, and they work at the coffee shop, and they make very little. But they're training. They want to be pastors and lead some other works that we're going to start up. And every day their parents call them. You're wasting your life. You got an education. You're wasting your life on this. God wouldn't want you to waste your life. And then it became apparent to me. I told them, you have to change something. You need to have children, and every day of their life, they need to hear from their parents, hey, you got a purpose, a calling in your life, and there is nothing more important than you answer that calling in your life. Amen. I'm dealing with a generation that their parents are saying, you're wasting your life pursuing God's calling. I mean, how many of us in this building have heard that? You're wasting your life. Sounds like a cult to me. If you're going to have to give up everything, just be a normal Christian. I want to be a forceful Christian. Because the kingdom of God doesn't advance by normal people. It's forceful men who have experienced in their own life this force. So our goal is to raise up a generation that hears that God created you for a purpose. See, as long as he's just our God, then I chose him to be my God. But when I view him as my creator, it changes some things. That means you were created for something. You didn't choose him. He created you for a purpose. And there's nothing greater than that purpose in your life. And many will not reach that purpose because something else is first. I hope I do all that I was created to do. My goal is to get to the finish line, broke, worn out, exhausted, beat up, nothing left. I don't want to look back and say, I could have done that better. I should have sat, I should have done this. I want to get to the end. In fact, I want to run my race 
in such a way that I'm actually trying to win the prize. The problem is we just want to cross the finish line without losing too much. It's how, sorry, I'm kicking mics all over the place. That's really my goal. There won't be a dollar in the bank. There won't be anything left. I can't take it with me. How many are pursuing God for the blessing? I mean, we are so afraid to lose something, we have insurance for our insurance. Just in case something forceful comes my way. We've isolated ourselves from allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and wreck us. We should cross the finish line with no more breath left in us. Hopefully bearing some marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that there's a room full of forceful men and women. When I say men, I'm not excluding women. I'm just trying to stay biblical. And I also understand as I run this race, there's a woman by my side who has to go through everything that I'm going through. And she has to be as forceful as me. And she keeps up pretty well. Sorry, baby, there won't be much left of by the time we get to the finish line. Every pastor lived this way and required everybody in their congregation to seek first the kingdom of God. You got to realize Romans 12 and the other verse wasn't written to pastors. He didn't say, pastors, you got to first seek the kingdom. These were men who wanted to be disciples and just follow him. If we would raise the standard to say, no, you're not a Christian yet. You don't, you don't live a life yet worthy to bear his name. But you're getting close. Keep pushing. I've been to a church that gave me a visitor's package before. And I didn't even do anything. They gave me a door prize. This is, what, this is why there's a shaking. So God can shake everything that can be shaken so that there is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's what's left after the shaking. But guess what? He wants to shake your life so much that everything gets shaken that only the kingdom is left in your life. He will shake everything. And it makes for a great song 
But the reality of it is real. These men in the, who went to jail, look, this is not a bedtime story we're telling our children. These are men who gathered in a room and said, it's on. Some of us, I'm ready to go to prison. Y'all ready to go to prison? Nate. And got a whole group out there saying, probably quoting Romans 13, saying this can't be God. God, is, Jesus is not like that. This is the Holy Spirit saying, go back. Go back to the same place and be bold and don't hold back. Don't hold anything back. See, sometimes in some places, some of us went on our job and we got in trouble for preaching the gospel. And they said, well, if you want to work here, you're not going to be able to preach about Jesus. Some of us kept our jobs because there was more force on you than Holy Spirit in you. I live in a country. Everywhere I go, it's illegal to preach the gospel. Right now, the church of God is experiencing in some places and has experience of what it's like to have an illegal service. I thank God all of our services are still illegal. They'll always be illegal. Because I can look out and see forceful men and women. Because that which can be shaken is going to get shaken out. I'm not going to go run after it and chase it. I'm just going to let the Lord shake it out. As he's shaking it out of my life. Are you willing to let Jesus wreck your life? I mean, wreck it. I mean, 15 years ago, this was not, this was not my plan. In fact, I had already had my retirement job before I came to Houston. I was hired by a hospital as an IT director, and I was set. I mean, my plans were going well. And I found every way that I could serve Jesus and still have my comfortable little life. Until he wrecked it. And there's something forceful in me, forceful in me that says, Jesus, wreck it all. Bring it. Deliver me from all of this. If you can shake it, then shake it. If it can be separated, if it can't stand, then just let it go. Take it. Shake it out of me. I don't know about you, but I'm still pressing in the kingdom. I'm not there yet. I haven't reached my finish line. But I have tasted and do understand when Paul said, Paul lived such a life, such a wrecked life, that he said, yeah, you know, if it was up to me, I'd just go be with Jesus. It'd be easier. But for you, I'll, I'll press on some more. But if it was up to me, I'd just go be with Jesus. 
I've had a rough four years. And if I have my choice, I'd rather just go be with Jesus. But I haven't crossed my finish line yet. In fact, I've just been awakened to pressing into the kingdom of God. And I want to press in more. I want to press in further. Jesus said, since John the Baptist until now, men have been pressing. Forceful men are forcing their way into the kingdom of God. It's an active word. It's not something they did in the past. And I'm thankful that I'm surrounded by forceful men. Church might look at and say, why do I have to be like that? Because it's the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit you put out of your church 20 years ago. Because he was too forceful. spoken promises to you? You got promises from the Lord? They're very much like the promise he made to Israel. He said, I'm going to give you a land that's flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give you houses you didn't have to build. I'm going to give you farmland and vineyards you didn't even have to plant. And I, could, I, I know every night these Israelite families were telling their children, we, God's going to give us this land flowing with milk and honey. He's going to give us. He's promised us. He's going to give us. And then they get there. It's full of giants. It's full of fortified cities. It's full of forceful people. And Jesus, uh, God tells them, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to deliver them into your hands. See, give didn't translate to go take. Oh, I got a, pro a promise for you. Oh, Jesus spoke a promise to me. Well, you're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to fight all hell for that promise. It's just not going to come on a silver platter. It's not going to come in a visitor's gift box. You're going to have to fight for I hope no one here has visitor gift bags. If you do, please stop. Do what you want in your churches. <laughs> See, everything in this life is temporary. But we don't think and live that way. The older I get, see, when I cross, I figured out why they say I'm over the hill at 40. What you don't realize is going up the hill, when you were a child, I mean, from the ages of 5 to 20, seemed like took 60 years, right, to get that far. When you get to 40, you realize it's almost straight down on the other side. <laughs> You're trying to slow the descent. It's just moving fast. It's just coming so fast. And I begin to realize I'm now closer to the end than I am the beginning. This is all temporary. 
I want to be eternally minded. I'm willing to lose every temporary thing. Everything that is temporary, I'm willing to let the Lord just shake it. Because I'm going to receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Our promises are eternal, but we don't live that way. I want to live a life that's an example that I'm eternally minded. And I'm willing to allow Jesus to wreck everything temporary in my life so that I can receive a crown and rule and reign with him. See, we all want to rule and reign with him someday. But if you wasn't ruling and reigning with a little, why would he trust you with ruling and reigning with much? There's nothing in this world right now, not your car, not your bank account, not your house, that's going to be here in 100 years. It's all going to be gone. We think so temporary. And it's the vapor, it's just a flash compared to eternity. You know how many people right now standing in eternity saying, if I'd have known this, I'd have gone back and lived a little different. Just like the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. He's like, hey, go tell them. That's all temporary. You're living your lavish life now. But there's something eternal. I pray daily, Lord, help me to wake up this morning eternally minded. I don't want to think temporary. 2 Corinthians 4.17. This is Paul, who is eternally minded. Second Corinthians four seventeen, in uh, honor of the lo- close election, two Corinthians. Some of y'all got that. Two Corinthians. Four seventeen. All right. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul said his light and momentary troubles are affliction. You see, there was a movement that happened. 20, 30 years ago, the prosperity movement, which is still going on, that if you have trouble in your life, you just don't have enough faith. That you're in sin if bad things are happening to you. You just need to have more faith. And Paul says, oh no, those things I suffered, they're purchasing for me something. And when Paul begins to think about them, listen to what he says, they're just momentary in life. But last night, Pastor Eric read Paul's resume. 
stepping stones, left for dead. I mean, Paul is floating in the ocean from a shipwreck for a whole day and a whole night. He's been there. He's done that. But he's focused on eternal glory. And he says, that was light. Momentary affliction. I'm finishing here. Since John, the kingdom has been forcefully advancing. But now it's our turn. It's from John... Until now, it has been forcefully advancing. By people who put the kingdom first, not pastors. We would expect every pastor to do this. But these scriptures weren't written to pastors. They were written to believers. It is expected you put the kingdom first in your life. It is expected you force your way into the kingdom. The kingdom is not for passive people. In fact, they can't get in because there's only one way in. The gate is straight, meaning it's difficult to get in and it's difficult to get down the path. And passive people, they find it easier way a little more broad you want to be dangerous to the enemy (laughs) then we should require of each other the same thing the Lord requires of us just think if you had a church where the pastor was forcefully advancing putting the kingdom first and everything, and required the same thing from every member. And if a member, it was just too much for him, then the pastor could say, there's other churches down the street. But if you want to forcefully advance the kingdom of God, you have to first let it forcefully advance in your life. If we had churches that this was the mindset and wasn't afraid to be called a cult, or whatever, fanatics. We might just advance the kingdom. We might just be dangerous to the enemy. Instead of raising the white flag before the first shot. I'm glad there's nobody sitting six feet apart, face shields, gloves. They're trying to stop the spread. But really what they've done is stop the spread of the gospel. Time for the spirit of Elijah to come. It started with John in the spirit of Elijah. Forcefully advancing. Making a way for the kingdom to come. He is the lamb, but we must never forget he is the lion. And the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. If you took Revelation, the book of Revelation, and turned it into a movie, it would be rated R for blood and violence. 
because the kingdom of God comes through forceful. It's, it's violent. It'll be violent to your own life. It'll be violent to your own retirement plan. It'll be in, violent to your vacation you have planned next year. It will do violence to everything you have planned. It will wreck your insurance, everything, because it comes by violence. Now, I'm not advocating anyone go somewhere, protest, burn fires, and topple statues. Actually, I am, but in the spirit realm. We need to protest. We need to start some fires, and we need to pull down some idols. You see, there is a force in America that realizes for it to gain control, it has to do it through violence. The violence that we see in the kingdom of God is different, but it's every bit as violent. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We sang that song, Shake Everything. I mean, how about you put everything on the altar? Put everything on the altar. Everything, all your hopes, your dreams. And let him have his way. Maybe you need to decide this morning to put the kingdom first. I know we've all been seeking the kingdom. But we just need to acknowledge, Lord, I have, but it just hasn't been first. And some of us need to come up and just say, wreck me. Wreck me. I want to be wrecked for you, Jesus. Because why? Because I'm no longer looking at temporary things. Wreck everything temporary in my life. So that only that which is eternal will remain. I'm not asking you to do anything that we haven't been experiencing. This message is birthed because I haven't always put the kingdom first. I've run from the shaking of the Lord. I've asked to follow the Lord, but first let me do something. But this is what going to serve the king, if you're going to advance the kingdom, there's no other gospel we have for you. You're going to have to forcefully enter it to forcefully advance it. I'm going to let Pastor Jerry come up because I'm not much on an altar call, but the Holy Spirit is. He needs to come into your life like a violent, forceful wind cause you to go to places that they say don't come here and preach some of you need to go back to your work and say it's on if I lose my job I lose my job don't let the enemy shut you up let's be a forceful church let's advance the kingdom everywhere Let's be living examples of living wrecked for Jesus. Amen?
I love that when we come together, I know it's going to be good, but we genuinely have no idea what's going to happen. I just want to read you two verses, and then we're going to let the Holy Spirit do what he does. This is Philippians. has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for him if you believe that the struggles the adversities the warfare that you go through in advancing the kingdom are achieving for you an eternal glory, then you view them as a grant. I don't know if we have students in here. I assume that we do. The happiest day of your life is when you get your pale grant. You, you hope that you can use some of it for the things you want rather than what you're supposed to, and most of you do. That's how the church viewed the kingdom through adversity and struggle. Second verse. Also in Philippians. Right there, find it. But even, this is chapter 2, verse 17. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Does that sound like a man who is trying to protect his health? There are either two different kinds of Christians, or there's not. Maybe you've slipped into the idea that those were Christians back then, but Christians now, two different kinds of Christians. Or, or, or maybe it's, oh, well, Pastor Brent is an international pastor. I mean, in Indonesia, I get that it has to be like that, but, but here, there's either two different kinds of Christians or there's not. Let me just tell you, there's only one. It's modeled after what Christ is. You are either that, or you are not. Could you stand to your feet? other sessions. I know that there's Jason's Deli and there's Chick-fil-A and there's taco trucks. I know that you got bills to pay. I know that some of you are not well physically. I know that there are many other things going on in your life. 
what is the first thing that you must do now? How can he be your God if you get to tell your God, I'll get to the things you've said to do when I get to them? If he has said something to you in this meeting, then it is the first, the primary, the only, solamente, the only thing that matters and nothing else matters or you are not treating him as your sovereign and your master. He's your genie or your employer or your magical blessing machine. God, then what he has said to you is now first, foremost, only the priority. And only you can treat it that way. Father, we're asking that first things would be first right now. Lord, that what must be laid upon an altar is first put upon that altar now. Lord, may every other thing fade into the background now. You deserve no competitor, no rival. You shall not share your glory with another. We put